Hello from Sydney and welcome to the Proof of Concept podcast, where we explore real life use cases from the field and discuss some of the hottest questions in the field of data science and AI today. And as always, I am your host, Grant Case, uh, Director of Sales Engineering here for Data IQ and ANZ. And as always is my co-host up there in Singapore. Hello, Alex Uber. Hey, Grant, how are you? I'm, I'm jazzed and pumped for today because Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> Today is all about the data science language breakdown. So talk, let's get lots of comments uh, coming on this one. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about you know the data science languages and how we typically break those down. Uh, so let's kind of introduce the participants and what is the cool stuff we can do with the technology, Alex? Yeah, so when when you think data science language, right, you just open up Google and you're going to have that, those, those big debates between obviously Python and R, uh, then pretty quickly SQL is going to come around. And the, the kind of cool stuff that you do with, with Python, because I'm more of a Python person than, than R person, I'm, I'm not sure that R should be around. Anyway. Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> But the cool stuff you do with Python now is is I was I was actually about to say um, anything that is machine learning related, but Python is so much more than that, right? You have all those libraries that let you do stuff from web apps, pretty nice visualization, heavy manipulation of data, and obviously machine learning, right? And mm-hmm. and ultimately, if you know your way around Python, you can go from uh, Building the backend of the website, uh, putting some AI in your website, and even uh, building somewhat some web apps on mm-hmm. your on your website. Uh, everything everything with Python, and that's the that's the full end to end cycle and the full end to end dream of a data scientist, right? Getting from raw data to an actual product that everyone can see. That's that's something you can do with Python. I will let you comment on. on <laughs> so I will take the R and the SQL. I'm an old hat. Uh, I funny. I love R as a language. I teach it in class. Uh, but one of the cool things I really like about R and always has is, in effect, anytime you go to most languages, you start up. You know, you cook up. You know, open up your Google browser or your Google Chrome. Uh, you type in. You know, and here comes a big deal, you know, big list of answers from Stack Overflow. Uh, The one thing I've always enjoyed about, especially about R, is the amount of community spirit in R. And the libraries, we talk about like the ubiquitousness of uh, the scikit-learn library inside of Python. It is the coin of the realm when it comes to machine learning. But anything that you've ever thought about doing somebody has likely built a function in a package in R today. I can go out to CRAN. I could do a search. I likely will find it. And there's a function there that I can just call and do it myself. I don't have to, I'm not taking and doing a bunch of code uh, to get it out. So for me, uh, when it, especially anything, and I'm trying to do anything statistical related, R is always the go-to for yeah. Uh, those particular pieces. Uh, but the one that always, we always get kind of short shifted, uh, but it is the cockroach 
of all programming languages. I wouldn't that play is, the cockroach. Come oh, on. I would. <laughs> it is SQL. SQL. You can't call SQL a cockroach. It's SQL not a cockroach. Is, it's so yeah. useful. It is useful. It is so and useful. it will be around for, you know, after you or I are long gone. Like if I was putting on, uh, if you're taking bets of the language that will be used now in 2050. So almost over 30 years from now, I can guarantee you somebody will be writing SQL at that point in time. For sure. You know, R and Python might be gone, but yes. So for me, you know, SQL has almost had a renaissance, right? So there was a time in the previous, you know, the last decade where, you know, RDMS is too slow. Yeah, Yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't cool to do SQL. It wasn't cool. And uh, and and you're right. It's 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 the renaissance of of SQL because people realize that um, when you go from from raw data to data in a database at some point, whatever type of database that you have, you're gonna have to manipulate heavily at scale those massive data sets so that your analytics team can start working with it but all this pipeline it's 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 heavy sql pipeline and even mm-hmm. on the analytics side like okay it's great to do stuff in python like the number of the number of, of, of times like I, I was i was taught that myself when i joined that i were the first place like i knew that that python was slow but i didn't know how powerful sql's sql was and then after that i was teaching that to a couple of 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 my team members guys just do that in sql it's so much more powerful it's so useful (laughs) and it's and it's also robust in python you can make a lot of mistakes and you know like you're gonna have some weird errors because that package was updated and stuff like that you didn't catch it sql will still probably be the the syntax can change from what database to another one, but overall, pretty easy to maintain, very robust, and so efficient uh, in in processing data in a database. Yeah. So, so how do we how do we explain these languages out to our uh, our CEO? So, how do we Eli five uh, these different languages? And I guess I'll kick off uh, yeah. when it comes to R. Think about all of the statistics you might have needed to do at some point in time. Uh, Most likely, it has its basis somewhere within the R language, especially if it's happened within the last 20 years. Uh, If I am looking for a language that I need to get something done and iterate very, very quickly, uh, that's where R comes in. Yeah, And, and, and overall... Overall, uh, whether it's R, whether it's Python, whether it's SQL, um, the 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 way I would explain the need for a, a data science language to a CEO or an executive or whatever, it's really what's going to be driving innovation and giving you the flexibility to test things, drive innovation integrate with other systems you can't just look at innovation and innovation around data just as as a as a as a c load system that just lives by itself it has to be integrated in other stuff and then the code start to become that groove between different systems it's also just the projection and the projection of the human mind like there's a lot of stuff you can do with low code solution of course and they're getting 
stronger and stronger weeks after weeks, uh, years after years. Like I think a couple of days ago, I, I read that um, Bubble, it's a complete no-code solution, not really in the analytics space, but they've raised 100 million uh, in Series A. That's that's just shows series how wow. much... Series A, yeah. That just shows how much low-code, the, the future of, of low-code solution is, is amazing. But at the same time, you can't deny that behind, first of all, any low-code solution, you have some code that does the magic behind. And when that you're trying... Only Python. <laughs> probably. I think in the case of Bubble, I heard, I heard the CEO once in a, in a, in a podcast, it, it does a lot of JavaScript stuff. But again, uh, that makes sense considering what, what they do. Another one. <laughs> yeah, another language another that one. always <laughs> it, it has had some, something of a renaissance as of late. And then what are your favorite languages? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a comment on LinkedIn or here on the video on YouTube. So, And also subscribe to our channel here. We'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, yeah, so I think kind of let's compare and contrast a little bit. Um, we kind of did that already to start with, uh, but I think ultimately when we are comparing and contrasting, what what is your thoughts? I mean, what you know is it really? Are we going to you know Python seems to you know take everything right, uh, but is there is there space? You know, should we be thinking about other languages as well? I. I this this compare and contrast is interesting, right? I wouldn't want to do a compare and contrast between languages. I think I opened the door between low code and code, because ultimately, as you say, like I, I used to work in, in in the finance industry, and and R was extremely useful, statistical perspective, time series analysis. It was extremely useful, and. Comparing different languages amongst themselves is not exactly fair because you're going to use a language for different purpose. If you want to do some, once again, heavy data manipulation at scale in database, that's going to be SQL. If you want to do something that is much closer to the customer, to the end user, probably you're going to be using JavaScript. If you want to have that a uh, Swiss army knife that does a little bit of everything and a lot of machine learning, you're going to be using Python. All of them have their different purposes. Now, the real compare and contrast is what do you want people to do in your organization? Uh, do you want them to drive complex use cases, complex innovation? And in that case, at some point, you need to quickly realize that low-code solution probably won't be able to bring you to the next level. Again, it depends on the use case, depends on what you're trying to do. But at some point, you're going to need the expertise and the flexibility that that a complete code framework give you. But otherwise, uh, a low-code solution is completely fine. Uh, you can do a lot of stuff. Uh, you can do a lot of stuff with uh, with uh, with a low-code solution. So the real the real question to me, the real compare and contrast is low-code or no-code. So, yeah. Sorry, code or code or or, or or low code. So how is so? Here's a good question for a data leader: How can you have all of these languages in your team? I mean, aren't aren't we ultimately when we're talking about this? We always like to talk about how do you save money, make money, improve the customer experience, yeah. especially if you're starting to you know manage these multiple languages within one team or one organization. Ultimately, are you going to be increasing the cost associated with it? 
you you might increase the complexity obviously like if you have mm. some people coding in r others coding coding in python um and and i was talking earlier on of of you know the need to integrate different system together well you can guess that if one is coded in python the other one in r at some point it's going to be complicated for the two pipeline to be reconciled uh uh, there's there's good solution for that, like that Aiku, for instance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but 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 yeah, like it's true that you, you you're taking the risk to increase the complexity, and on the long run, that can increase cost of maintaining this pipeline, uh, maintaining the code. If you have like the the governance essentially all around that can be can be pretty tedious. If mm. tomorrow I'm losing an R expert. How long does that going to take me to find another R expert? Probably, you know, not that long. But then how long that person is going to take to understand that code logic um, so that it becomes second nature, like it's almost me who has written that code, that can take a long time. And managing that complexity is, is something you also have to keep in mind when you're trying to grow a team um, and, and therefore growing a some skill set within your within your team like how are you going to manage that on the long run uh, at some point and we see people actually taking the decision to say we're just going to be a, a python shop uh, mm-hmm. or we're just going to be like a complete spark shop and and because yeah that's going to remove a little, a little bit of that complexity in practice you see more python sql mm-hmm. uh, something like this yeah um and i think justin when we I like to talk about these and I like to think about opportunity cost. What is the opportunity cost associated with not doing something? So in this case, if I'm not hiring someone who's an R or Python person uh, in the fact that, you know, I, like you said, I do know those organizations that we're doing all Spark. Uh, we do not want to manage other languages. Uh, we're going to do everything in Spark and that's fine. Uh, but there is an opportunity cost associated there when you only make one decision uh, across the team. And to be fair, I see a lot of organizations, a, a fair bit of organizations going kind of this siloed, we're going to do Python only. But if you look, the vast majority of most organizations today are, uh, and the customers I work with, there it, it's more about the person, right? Uh, you'll see most times, you know, I'm an R person. Uh, slowly learning Python at this point. But I think if you have the mentality of typically the individuals who learn these types of languages, uh, moving over to another language inside of the organization is always helpful. Um, And that's growing your own capacity as an organization and your own talent pool. So for me, it's not so much about saving money or making money uh, when it comes to choosing a language. It's what can I get the most out of my team? Because, in, yeah. It's, it's an excellent point because it, it's, you can see anyway that, that trend of organization proposing career path, but also trainings, upskilling people. Like you have all those boot camps within organization to take someone who didn't know how to code and then train them in SQL or in Python slowly week after weeks. Uh, that goes exactly into the, the direction of what you what you were saying. Yeah, and, and again, I think you. I'd never want to necessarily hang. And we, when I was on the the other side of the 
at the desk, I never wanted to constrain any of my team in terms of the language itself, because guess what? Every language, you know, go back to, you know, you know, go back to 2000, 2001 Java. Yeah, it was, it's yeah. still incredibly important now, but it was everywhere. You know, languages yeah. come and go, but the people and the aptitude to deal with the languages, those are the folks that drive the value. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a little bit. Let's put on our uh, let's put on our wizard's cap and let's think about you know some of the predictions in and around uh, because there is a fair amount of organizations that are dipping their toe in today into this data science world, and th- you know there's always a fear of am I going to bet the wrong horse? Uh, so let's put on our prognosticator caps and let's kind of think about predictions as it relates to a lot of these data science languages. Yeah, I mean, Python should be around, right? Mm-hmm. Python is going to be around, uh, but as we as we said earlier on in the in the episode, right? Uh, SQL for sure is going to be around, and and if anything, it's less than a bet. But I would love to see organization trusting and relying much more of their pipelining and their feature engineering on SQL. There is so many data scientists right now in the market. I'm looking at their code sometimes. I'm looking at what they're doing and I'm just, I'm not going to say horrified, but sometimes that's the- that's as, a de- as a former nice. SQL developer, I will say that. <laughs> I am horrified. You're looking at loops, loops over loops over loops and you're like, that would have been so much better and so much more efficient in SQL. Uh, so for sure, SQL is going to be SQL is going to be around. But but if we if we try to make a very meaningful convers- meaningful prediction, I don't think again we should be asking ourselves which language is going to be around because language pop and go and and maybe tomorrow something something appears and it's the new Python and just replace everything. However. Um, I think you're going to see more and more very powerful low-code solutions on the long run uh, that are going to challenge the way we even think of innovation, uh, the way that data scientists, data engineers are looking at their job right now. Uh, Potentially, data science is going to be much more uh, of a managed services than what it is right now, like we were talking about O2ML stuff uh, last time. Uh, O2ML, it's it's the complete abstraction of of the code. It's a low code solution. Like, doesn't mean that you're useless as a data scientist, but mm-hmm. we are putting the code away, and yet the innovation is still being uh, pushed forward. Mm-hmm. So you you, I think we'll see a, a fair uh, a fair rebalancing of of the the dependence and the reliance on code to to uh, to build analytics project uh, mm-hmm. over the next over the next few years. Yeah, I, I think I echo some of those, especially when it comes to uh, the languages themselves. Um, I tell this story about you know, at the beginning of my career, I'd gone in and you know I had basically built my own little application with uh, Microsoft Front Page, which was an HTML editor. Uh, I had gone in uh, into a job interview and. Basically, they were like, oh, how'd you do this? And I was like, this, <laughs> how do I do that? Well, uh, somebody just pulled up their you know, notepad, uh, not even notepad plus plus at that point. And I think back to that and I think about now, 
the languages are still going to be around. Uh, the, the question will be how much of it is being used. To your point, low-code and no-code solutions, especially in data science, are getting really scary good. So yeah. the amount of code I might need to write is actually going to shrink, uh, even though the ultimately I may be using more Python or I may be using more R uh, later on, but that's as a percentage of the total amount of work, it's probably become smaller and smaller. So I look at, you know, is Python going to continue to rule the roost? Absolutely. Uh, I don't see it going anywhere. I don't see R going anywhere either, especially here in Australia. I'd say R is probably on par in a lot of organizations with Python. Uh, but for me, it's more of that, you know, what's going to happen in the next, you know, five years, we're going to see a, we talk about this overall theme of democratization and democratization is coming to a lot of the code. So we're, we're going to yeah. see this bifurcation of people that are doing a lot of low code, no, no code stuff, and maybe a little bit of Python or a little bit of R. And then you'll have your email engineers on the other side that when I need to get that 0.1% better AUC, uh, guess where I'm going? I'm going, I'm, I'm going to open up the code yeah. and, you know, and as you said earlier, what's around the corner? Uh, Julia as a programming language uh, seems to be, you know, very, very interesting. Uh, gets rid of a lot of the problems we have with Python in terms of memory and speed uh, and replaces that. But, you know, will that catch fire? Don't know. But I do know one but, thing. Uh, somebody's going to be coding some point. <laughs> quick question for you. When you, the, the, the first workflows that you were building within the Taiku, within DSS, mm -hmm. how much were they relying on code in comparison to what uh, the, the, the amount of, of pure no-code visual recipes that you're using? 90% low-code, no-code at but, that point. But, when you, but, yeah, yeah, but when you started, it was, was it more geared toward codes? Like, did you see that rebalance over time? No, um, and I think that's the scary thing about all of this, especially for a lot of data scientists. It's like, okay, I can have something build the SQL pipeline for me. I don't have to write it. Maybe I maybe I could have written it a little bit better, but the the cost savings in terms of that's, time is always going to win out. That is exactly my case. When yeah. I started, I used to have, I would say, eighty percent of my pipelines were code based. But then the more trust I was getting into the tool and into low-code solution and, and yeah. yeah, like as you said, the productivity gain that you have out of this, uh, now it's, it's so much more rebalanced. It's more 70-30 yeah. than, than what it was at the, at the beginning. Yeah. yeah, well, again, uh, and we would love to hear your predictions in and around the languages. You know, are we going to see... Uh, are new languages, are you seeing new languages pop up? Uh, are you seeing, you know, what do you think about code in general? Are we going more towards a low code, no code era? Uh, we would love to hear your feedback here on uh, the Proof of Concept podcast. So please uh, subscribe on YouTube and drop us a link on LinkedIn or drop us a comment on LinkedIn. And we would love to hear from you. So with that and wrapping up, Alex, I want to thank you. Uh, for your discussions today. And I want to thank you for joining us as everyone. And thanks for listening. Uh, please stay tuned for upcoming episodes of the POC and follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube 
YouTube channel and drop us some comments. We'd love to hear them. We'll play them back. So for that, Alex, for Alex Hubert in Singapore and myself, Grant Case here in Sydney, thanks so much. Take care. Thanks, guys. And have a great Bye. day.